bum bum bottom 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 bum
you know, if you're quoting straight from her Wikipedia page, she's a black, queer, disabled comic book writer. She's actually the first black woman to be hired by Image Comics ever. And she is the creator of the hashtag movement Black Comics Month. Already so flipping cool. Yeah, true. But can you believe that she's the first black woman writer at Image Comics? Whenever you hear the first black woman to do anything or be acknowledged ever, it's always super depressing because it it was always like yesterday. Like thinking about like the Oscars, um, the woman who won. Oh, uh, Ruthie Carter and Hannah Beachler for production design. Right. You know, the the first first in 91 years. So depressing. It's really depressing. But uh, thankfully, we have people like T. Franklin making art now. And Bingo Love was a huge hit. It was her first comic. Uh, she kickstarted it into a reality, raising $57,000. Image published a story, and before it even hit shelves, that first printing sold out. Um, Franklin, she grew up loving comic books like all of us, uh, but she went right out of college into a relationship, a marriage, had some kids, and that marriage ended up being abusive. She divorced her husband. And when she got out, she had some money. She wanted to find exciting and thrilling ways to spend that money. So she got back into comic books. And the first thing she noticed was that there were no characters in Marvel and DC comics, or really comics in general, that looked like her, that represented her. And if you don't see yourself on the page or in films or in TV, you got to do it yourself. And that's what she did with Bingo Love. Um, So yeah, I think that is incredible. Her first short story, uh, a horror story called Skin, appeared in the Image comic Nailbiter. And from that point forward, she was off to the races. That is absolutely amazing. So Lisa, we had seen this comic on the shelf at Big Planet Comics. We'd seen the comic at Third Eye. We go into bookstores. It's on end caps. Uh, it, 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 the reason we picked this book is because it seemed to be everywhere. You ubiquitous, look up, yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's ubiquitous. You, you, you check out any list on LGBTQ comics and Bingo Love is somewhere in the top five, top 10. Absolutely. And you can see just from the cover, the attraction that it has that, um, this love is multi-generational. It's multicultural. It is... Um, beyond the heteronormative. And I think that a lot of people who are walking through comic book stores look at this cover and they're seeing themselves for the first time. Well, and it's it beautiful. does stand out. I mean, looking at that cover right there, when do you see one African-American women uh, in love on a comic book cover? And two, elderly yeah. African-American women in love on a comic book cover. It separates itself immediately just by walking past. You put that next to any other comic on the shelf, it looks unique. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that and goes back to your statement, though, of how depressing it is when you see something like this. It does stand out in such a extreme way. Right. But art-wise... Yes, I agree. Absolutely beautiful. It has a cartoon quality to it that uh, is vibrant and alive. Yeah. So this book is intended for teens, according to the back cover. And I think that that does come across in a little bit of the writing. It is very, it can be at times a little instructive. Well, and the comic erases along. You know, it's oh, the, yeah. the pace of the book is, this is amped. A, this is a... 
48. Well, I guess then they spend their life, the rest of their lives together. So this is like a 60 year span of a romance. In 90 pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's all packed in. But um, I do really appreciate the twists and turns of their relationship. And I think that there is a lot of fodder for us to be talking relationships, particularly that that first instance of attraction. Well, before we get into the basic plot of Bingo Love, we're dancing around it right now. I do want to go back to Dr. Stan Tatkin yes. and Wizard for Dating. How are we going to apply? Wizard for Dating. It's called Wired for Dating. Oh, uh, Wired for Dating. I wish it was called Wizard for Dating because that sounds amazing. Dr. Stan Tatkin, you could take that title. He is our official Wizard for Dating this month. <laughs> yeah, he's our official Wizard for Dating with <laughs> Wired for Dating. Lisa, please stop mocking me. Uh, <laughs> how are you going to apply this book to Bingo Love? Yes. So our expert this month is Dr. Stan Tatkin, who I discovered because he was a guest, a repeat guest on Jonathan Van Ness's podcast. Queer Eye is back on Netflix. Yes, it is. Brad and I just watched the first episode today. So good. I was already crying. (laughs) I love it. I could... I could go on and on. Don't don't derail no, me. No, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> this is not a queer eye spin-off show, although we could do one. I think you should probably listen to our In the Mouth of Darkness podcast because I'm I'm guessing I'm gonna be talking some queer eye. On your weekend dork? Hell yeah. Okay, so jump on, plug that podcast. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but what I think is so extraordinary about Dr. Stan Tatkin is that he takes a psycho psycho biological approach to relationship counseling, marrying the science sciences of psychology and biology. And in this, so um, in the two chapters I'm talking about this month, we really get into the science stuff, which gets me like so excited. Um, so the reason why I think he is so wonderful, especially in comparison to some of our previous love Experts, Gary Chapman, the other guy. (laughs) Gray, John Gray. Yeah. Um, The bestsellers. Is that Stan Tatkin's approach is non-gendered and science-based. So um, so that really appeals to me. It's not BS. Yeah, yeah. It's not something (laughs) some dude imagined while he was discontent in his own marriage. Um, So... Um, I want to start with chapter two, which is called Seeing Clearly Through the Fog of Infatuation. So when you first become attracted to somebody, like, you know, your cheeks get hot, you know, your heart starts beating, you get excited. I love how it's depicted in Bingo Love. Not to jump Absolutely. ahead, but Spoilies yes. for a future, near, near future conversation. Yes, yes. Um, but this, he calls this, like, kind of rush of emotions that you have when you see someone that you're attracted to, the fog of infatuation. Mm. And there's a bunch of hormones that kind of temporarily intoxicate you yeah. so that you're willing to put yourself out on a limb and try to mate with someone. Well, that makes sense. I think about our early dating life and the memory of those moments that it almost feels like a different Brad. Right. And it almost feels like a different Lisa. Absolutely. So um, the hormones, when you saw me Mm -hmm. walking through the Barnes and Noble. Yeah, ravishing. Yeah, (laughs) wearing my 
Name tag, probably carrying a stack of books. Uh, a burgundy hoodie. Ooh, yay. Specifics. Why was I wearing a hoodie at work? Shame on me. Because you always wore a hoodie <laughs> at work, Lisa. Yep. So when you saw me so ravishing in my hoodie, you were caught in the fog of infatuation. You had a rush of testosterone or estrogen. You're a man, so you yeah, had a rush I of- I am. Thank you, you for noticing. A, you had a rush of estrogen, believe it or not. Okay. Women, when they when they see a man, they have a rush of testosterone. Okay. Um, dopamine, or whenever they see a, a, an object of attraction. Hmm. Okay. Dopamine, noradrenaline, serotonin, oxytocin, and vasopressin. These very neurochemicals were studied by anthropologist he- Helen Fisher, and she associated these chemicals with three different neural systems. The system for lust, attraction, and attachment. All right. I mean, that all makes sense to me. So we've already talked a little bit about testosterone and estrogen. Those are the two chemicals, neurochemicals for lust. Then there's dopamine, noradrenaline, and serotonin. So those are the three chemicals for attraction. And I found this particular element very interesting. So dopamine is kind of like your your brain's happy juice. It's what makes helps you feel happy, satisfied, giddy, that kind of thing. Noradrenaline, you just think adrenaline. That's something that makes you feel very um, excited. It makes you very attentive. Um, and then serotonin, which is kind of like the exact use of serotonin in the brain is not completely understood, but it has something to do with social interaction. And um, as a person who has had uh, clinical depression in the past, I currently have an anxiety disorder. I hear about dopamine and serotonin all of the time. And I've been on drugs that have both regulated my dopamine and regulated my serotonin in different situations. Well, it turns out that when you're attracted to someone or when you're infatuated with someone, it actually lowers your serotonin, right? So um, I'm just going to read directly from the book. Um, So I'm on page 52 if you're reading along in your own iBooks version of Wired for Dating. Okay. Um, It says, in one classic study published in 1999, Donatella Marazzizzi, Italian name, (laughs) and her colleagues in Italy, oh, which explains the Italian (laughs) name, (laughs) measured serotonin levels in three groups. Individuals who said they had fallen in love, individuals suffering from OCD, and normal individuals, a a control group, who were neither in love or obsessive. Serotonin levels were about 40% lower in both of the first groups than in in the so-called normal group. So people who have anxiety disorders, like myself, um, have lower serotonin, and people who are infatuated with someone have lower serotonin. Mm. So I think that's interesting because you think about when you're in love with someone, when you're infatuated with someone, you know, you go like, oh, man, I see them and my heart beats out of my chest. Like, I pay attention to everything. I think about them all of the time, I can't breathe, I can't eat, it's I consuming. can't sleep. Yeah, but like all of those things that are like, 
associated with falling in love. Like, I associate with having a panic attack. <laughs> like, I feel so anxious. My heart is beating out of my chest. But, but I, when you felt those feelings for me right. and maybe people before me that I, we don't want to talk we about. We will not discuss those people. When you've, when you've experienced those feelings, did, did you connect it to that uh, panic attack experience? I do remember, like, if I think back into high school, and then high school was a time where, you know, I was clinically depressed for a lot of it. But, like, I remember having crushes as being a horrible feeling. Like, mm. I didn't, like, sometimes it can be, I guess when it's returned, it's, like, exhilarating. But I remember, like, having crushes, like, as a young woman and going, like, this is, like, the worst. Well, I, I, cannot I, I mean, I it. felt that way yeah. in, in, when I was, you know, high school, middle school, and I had crushes. <laughs> they, it did not feel good because of the terror. And I was the type of kid who never sought attention from the person I had a crush on. Right. They stayed away from me, and I kept them away from me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think I understand that. Yeah. But like when you experience a panic attack today. Do I feel like in love? No, I do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a completely different feeling, mm -hmm. but I think about like, you know, like I, I am in love with you, but we're our, like our relationship is established. So like, I don't have. Like, I'm in love with what you, What you're saying is we've plateaued. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that my serotonin has reached normal Lisa levels. Plateauing is right. what so, that's called. So, like, <laughs> my heart doesn't skip. I don't start sweating every time I see you. Well, you know I what? You. I still sweat when I see you. That is so sweet it and could not true. <laughs> it could just be all the steaks I eat. Oh. That's not true. I don't eat steaks. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, but, you McDonald's know. hamburgers. Like, I do wonder, like... Is someone who has an anxiety disorder and in love more likely to have a panic attack because their serotonins are good? It's interesting. It's I don't interesting know. I just find sure. it fascinating. Okay, okay. We're um, getting sidetracked. I apologize. That's okay. So, um, but I find that very, like the fact that dopamine sure. and serotonin are both lowered when you're infatuated with someone. And um, and I guess the the um, incentive then by those things is like, oh, well, now you're going to go copulate with that other person and um, you will continue the um, bloodline and sorry, then you'll feel satisfied. <laughs> You've never used the word copulate I know, into it was my weird. eyes before. Whoa. It was weird. I was trying to sound scientific. Yeah, I don't know. it was very scientific. What I am flooded with when oh, I am God. with you, Brad, is oxytocin <laughs> and vasopressin, okay. which are the chemicals of attachment. Hmm. So, okay, 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 okay. So they're the kinds of things that, you know, Babies are flooded with when they see their mothers. Mothers are flooded with when they see their babies. And is established by us being together all of the time, being very familiar with each other. And, and me being a big baby. <laughs> no. Um, you know, us embracing <laughs> I, each other. I'm sorry. I'm, take, I'm not taking this seriously. I know. You're a goose. Anyway. Um, so uh, the reason he goes through all of the trouble of telling us all of these all of these secrets of our neuro neurochemical haze that we go into when we're infatuated with someone is for us to be able to take that into account when we're vetting a potential partner. Mm. So like you have all of these different chemicals that are intoxicating you, affecting the way you may make decisions or may make considerations for another person. And he encourages you to kind of 
put that aside and go through the vetting process to figure out if this partner is really a good partner for you. Um, the vetting process is multi-staged. First, you vet them yourselves. You vet them through your social network. Um, he goes into that. But I want to go into how these chemicals create performance anxiety. So now you're attracted to a person. You feel all of these chemical, lusty, um, sweaty feelings for this other person. So you go on a date with them and... This flood of chemicals, plus the sense of stakes, like this could be the one, the one for me, um, is very anxiety-inducing. And you feel hyper-alert and you're nervous. And you have two functions that are trying to, that are battling for your attention. So you have your primitives, which are the, you know, parts of your brain that are pumping out these chemicals, which include like your amygdala becomes like overactive. So you're just like pumping out adrenaline and you're feeling nervous. And then you have what he calls your ambassadors, which is like your frontal cortex trying to go like, you know, cool it. You want to, you want to seem cool and collected you. And so you get into this feedback loop of your, um, of your two systems of your primitives going like, you know, like jump this person. They're very attractive. Mm -hmm. Continue the species. It's your time. And then you have this other system going like, you look like an idiot. Why did you choose that tie? What does that facial expression mean? It's, did she find my joke funny or did she find my joke stupid? So it creates a feedback loop that gets you stuck mm. and really, really flustered. And so um, he includes in the book a series of mindfulness exercises. So, you know, you feel that flood of, you know, chemicals, and he encourages you to not ignore them, just acknowledge them, and then try to be more present in the moment. Try to notice what the color of the other person's eyes are. Try to notice, oh, they are wearing a very attractive shirt, like that kind of stuff, so that you stay in the moment rather than getting stuck in this performance anxiety. Yeah, for most, most of that, that makes sense to me. Uh, you know, you were talking about how Tatkin doesn't tend to gender his writing. Right. But in describing that, you were also saying the emotion of, oh, I got to continue the species. That's not necessarily always the case. Right. No, that's true. But, like, even if, like, even, even if you're in a couple that does not, make more people uh-huh. it's still the same chemicals so your brain even even your brain doesn't necessarily know better like you know your primitives are not saying like that person i have you know uh you know slot a tab a yeah. biological doesn't necessarily mean reproductive exactly yeah yeah but you want to i'm just saying you you don't want to like you don't want to sex it up all the time i'm trying to i hear what you're saying you know, I hear what you're your saying. brain I is agree. like i want to boink this person yeah 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 and um and your brain doesn't care oh, whether yeah. it makes babies or not um and neither do i frankly live well, your best life yeah we're childless <laughs> yeah forever, child, so. i don't like to say childless i like to say child free um, because, You've never said that to me, really? Yeah. You don't like the term childless? I don't, because it makes me sound like I am less. Like, I have oh. less because I have no children. Mm. I am See, not less. What it makes you sound like is sensitive. I'm free. I am sensitive. <laughs> I'm a 35-year-old childless woman. <laughs> child free. Child, child free. free. <laughs> keep, keep educating me, Lisa. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, what I find really cute about uh, the mindfulness exercises, a lot of them 
in, uh, include going on mock dates with a trusted friend and, uh, and um, you know, going through a series of questions and you figure out how you, how you regulate your emotions with this on this mock date. And I was like, if you have a friend like that, that you can have them sit across from you and pretend <laughs> to be on, on a date, marry that friend yeah. <laughs> because they're willing to do anything for you. Uh, now, bringing all of this to bingo love, clearly, you know, th- this story involves that initial stage, that young love, that young romance, that attraction, that anxious period. Is that what we're going to be focusing on with Tatkin and Bingo Love? I think yes. And also I think that even with her husband, she does establish attachment because they are together a very long time. She feels a loyalty and a love for James, even if she didn't have that initial sexual attraction that she had for Mari. All right, well, let's get into it. Um, Basic plot time. Okay. So as we were saying earlier, Bingo Love, it's a pretty basic romance comic. Yep, a couple, they meet, circumstances separate them, they come together in the end and have a beautiful love relationship. Right. Uh, So what is that? Uh, From the first panel, we are introduced to Hazel. Uh, She is an elderly woman living at the Jenkins home for seniors. The year is 2038. So this is a little bit of a sci-fi story. It's in the near future. My favorite future, the near future. (laughs) I think it's so cute that you call it a sci-fi story, but I guess the ending element of the story is very sci-fi. We are going to spoil this book. So if you are interested in reading it, and you haven't done so yet, please do so. Because yes, it is a sci-fi story and it has (laughs) sci-fi elements. Uh, Okay, so who's Hazel? Um, She's an elderly black woman. And what we see is she's consoling a guest in her um, living quarters because her parents have just kicked her out of the house for being gay. I find it so sad that in 2038, poor women are still being kicked out of their homes for being same-sex attracted. Well, that's part of the story. That's part of the reveal at the end of this movie. Yeah. Or at the end of this comic is because it's it's not her. She's not getting kicked out because if she's being gay. Hold on, we gotta stop. What? <laughs> Brad just explained the end of the book to me. I am the densest <laughs> I'm person. impressed. Lisa wanted to keep that realness in this episode. That's how much she loves you listeners. I'm so vulnerable right now. Yeah, so when you get to the end of this book, you realize that the woman, her house guest that she is talking to is actually Mari suffering from the ravages of, of Alzheimer's, of dementia, yeah. T. Franklin pulls a notebook at the end of this story. And what you learn is that that this person she's been talking to, she's been explaining her own love affair to the object of her affection. And that is like a tremendous gut punch. I can't believe you didn't no- like notice that. <laughs> My excuse is that I've never seen the notebook. <laughs> oh, well, okay. That might be true. I'm so stupid. Uh, no, you're not stupid. I just think that's funny. I, I was rushing funny. to finish the book. See, now we're both making excuses. Oh, now we're Very making excuses. Week. Oh, the recording day got here too soon. Uh, okay, so okay. <laughs> back to the plot. Yeah, that, that's what the story is. It, it, it moves around in time. It starts in the future, the near future, and it goes back to Hazel discussing the moment in which she met Mari for the first time attending her grandmother's bingo game. Right. And Mari was attending the bingo game with her grandmother. And that's my favorite page in the whole book is when they, well, no, nah, it's not my favorite page, but I love that moment 
when Hazel sees Mari for the first time and there's this halo of pink around it's her. It's literally a fog of infatuation. Yes, yes, that's the fog of infatuation moment. They become friends. They're friends for several years before either of them act on it. Uh, Mari starts calling Hazel L. And L becomes almost like a alternate identity for her, a place where she can... When she's L, she's truly being her whole self. And nobody else calls her L. No, because nobody else really knows her. One day after one of the bingo games, or actually during a bingo game, uh, Mari's grandmother says, you know, you and Hazel are, you're spending too much darn time together. You know, you might as well go and marry her. Mari becomes really upset by that, flees the bingo hall. Hazel follows after her, and they share a kiss for the first time. Yeah, they smoocheroo on the church steps. And they now realize that they're not just friends, they love each other. Yeah. But what happens? They get caught kissing by the grandmother, Mari's grandmother, and Mari calls Hazel's grandmother. And uh, now Hazel's in trouble. Yeah, now Hazel's in trouble. And they are being called sinners. Yeah, they can't be together. So they drift apart from that point forward. Well, Mari gets shipped away. Like her grandmother um, tells the family, they find a preacher's son for her to marry, and she moves. Yeah, and a whole life happens. A married life happens for Hazel. Both of them. With with both of them, but we stay with Hazel. We meet James, a young military man. They get together. Every time they have sex, there is a baby. They have three children, and we watch Hazel grow into late adulthood. Yeah. With her kids now growing up. And what happens? She goes to a bingo game with her daughter, her grandchildren, and who's at this bingo game but Mari. And Mari's still looking pretty darn good. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> She's just got like a silver streak in her hair, and that's So it. distinguished. And the moment they see each other, boom. They start making they start out making the bingo out. hall again. And that's officially my favorite page of the entire book, when they are reunited and you get the... Waves of pink and orange and the, and the fog color. of infatuation. The, the, it's still there, it even returns. in in their. Um, I'm guessing uh, menopausal yeah. age. And what happens, of course? Daughter witnesses this. Daughter is shocked, devastated. She cannot deal. And the rest of the book becomes this decision that Hazel has to make. You know, am I living a lie with James? I, you know, I love should my I, children. Should we stay together for our grown kids? Yeah. And eventually she makes the call, no, we need to divorce. There's a very painful argument between James and Hazel. But by the end of it, they both agree that they can't be together anymore. They rally the children. They tell the children. It's a very hard conversation. But it happens. Right. And now Hazel is off on her own, and she's living her best life with Mari. Better late than never kind of story. Yeah, and and she realizes ev- um, even more dreams now that she is with a lawyer. She can <laughs> yeah. pursue her dreams of being a designer. Yep, she's always been obsessed with fashion, and she always dreamed of designing dresses for Mari to wear, and now she can do that. She gets to live that dream, but then you know, time and age finally catches up with them. Mari starts showing signs of dementia. Yeah, Lisa, dementia. <laughs> yeah. And um and yeah, and she takes care of 
her loved one until not, the But they get married. They do get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make it official. Her wife. And they go on an awesome honeymoon across the world. Oh, yeah, that's right. Super they, jealous that's, of that. That's the great thing about honeymooning in retirement age is you get to honeymoon for a month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get the real cash. Uh, and, yeah, so we get to the end and we realize that um, Mari is meeting the end of her life and that Hazel has been telling this story to Mari this whole time. And that woman at the beginning in that first panel where we learned that it's in the near future, she's actually trapped in the past of the 1963 when she was booted out of her grandmother's house. That's right. Um, I but did not get that. <laughs> she notebooks it up. Yep. She's there to tell the tale of their love. And the book actually ends with them dying together. Yep, and going to play bingo in heaven. And going and the last three panels of the book are Hazel and Mari with angel wings meeting in heaven and going off to play a Looking bingo fine. Game. Yeah, yeah. That was a, that was another big shock. I was surprised. One, I was you know, when it was in the future, I said, like, why are we in 2038? So we could get to that reveal and we learned that Hazel's been using this device around her neck that's projecting a younger image of herself. On her head, Mari. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. so I guess in 20 years, we'll have that uh, face replacement, <laughs> like a permanent Snapchat filter on our faces. I'm okay with that. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, Grand Moff Tarkin, he's walking around Rogue One. Let's make it work for us. So there you have it. That's the plot of Bingo Love. Oh, man, 90 pages, that's a that's a whole lifetime crammed in there. And as you were saying earlier, it moves. We're jumping, jumping, jumping through the life of Hazel um, to get to, you know, her death. We don't see her birth, but we practically do. Yeah, yeah. We see an entire lifetime of a love story. But I think it's interesting that a lot of the high action points in this story happen in the span of two days. So for instance, when Mari blows up at her grandmother, they go outside, they kiss on the church steps, they have a whole afternoon together, they go, they get, they get milkshakes and they confess their love to each other. That night, they kiss in front of Grammy's house and it's Mari gets in trouble, you know, and so sh the very next day she's gone. Then we go to um, the future, the future when she runs into her at bingo mm -hmm. for the second time, I guess, when they're when they're mature ladies and she they kiss at bingo. Daughter sees it. Explodes. Daughter sees it. Hazel L. goes home, tells James right away. The next day, she goes to her therapist. She goes out to lunch with Mari. And then that night, she tells James, I want a divorce. And he agrees to it. So that's another After explosion. two days. But what I think is happening there is this is a teen romance story. And... It is all about those heightened extreme emotions. But these are also moments of high attraction. So e I'm sure even in their advanced age, you know, seeing each other, they are flooded maybe with not as much estrogen because they're like menopausal, but they're still flooded with all of these chemicals that are evolutionarily 
in your brain <laughs> to make you make rash I like decisions. This. You're explaining it through the science of Dr. Stan Tackman. That's right. The wizard of dating. That's right. <laughs> and I'm explaining it through the concept of why Storytelling. <laughs> but I mean, you have to think like, if these were real people, what would explain them acting sure. so crazy? Yeah. And part of it could be, yeah, because teens are reading this and teens are crazy, so they identify with it closely. But also, you have to think, these are people who are in love, they are infatuated with each other, and they're under the influence of all of the related neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well... Can we go back to the fog of infatuation to the very beginning of their relationship with that panel when Hazel L sees Mari for the first time and you get that pink halo? Yeah. I love that moment. And immediately Hazel starts asking questions of who who could this girl be? And then she spends that entire night thinking about her going like, oh, I, she's, she's Sister Jackie's relative. I'm going to get to see her at school. And then... By the time she's sitting next to Mari in class, she is so distracted by all of these chemical feelings she's feeling. And so here's a little one of those yellow boxes. She says, Mari was tall, beautiful, and she smelled like cocoa butter. So she has those heightened, uh, overactive amygdala, noticing things, um, noroadrenaline. She was, she was a honey-glazed goddess. So like that visual stimulation. I stared at her in class and just daydreamed about us being friends and hanging out. So in the presence of this object of her affection, she can't even, she needs to practice some of that Dr. Stan Tatkin mindfulness and really appreciate, like, like she's totally spaced out to the point where, like, um, Mari notices her just staring out into space. I love, again, you're like focused on the plot. You're focused on the characters. That is such a Lisa thing. <laughs> and Brad is going, Jen St. Ange's art in these sequences really heightens the emotions. You know, obviously the story is coming from T. Franklin um, and it's prepackaged with a lot of emotion and character. But Jen St. Ange is killing it in depicting this fog of infatuation. And if we go just a little bit further into the future, when they finally kiss and you get this splash page where T. Franklin says, you know, uh, puts words in Hazel's mouth saying from, you know, I immediately wanted to marry her in the moment of that kiss. Yeah. And the way that Jen St. Ange uh, illustrates it, and maybe this was in the script, I don't know. You see hearts exploding around their kiss. You see unicorns and doves. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, you see both young girls, now women, dressed in wedding gowns, embraced. Yeah. And that is just such a powerful expression of love and young love and Young ideal love. And this isn't even, like, this wasn't the kiss, like, the kiss that happens later that... Right, it's not the, yeah, it's not it, the this actual... This is just a like, kiss on the cheek. Right, And just right. that little bit of contact just sends her absolutely swimming. Into the future, into yeah. the possibility of this grand hopefulness. And, of course, she's in 1963 America, and that's not going to happen. In fact, I'm surprised that this book keeps all the dramatic tension to the family, and there's really no um, response from 
teachers or other students or the outside world. Bingo Love is solely concerned with how a romance like this affects mom, family, yeah. grandma, daughter, father. And and this goes back to our conversation about Bloom. Like, who are you most obliged to? Is mm. it yourself? Is it your family? Is it your partner, your love interest? Yes. So when Mari is ripped from her sphere of influence, she now meets James, gets together with him fairly quickly. Um, what What did you think about the, those two pages where we go through the early stages of Hazel and James's relationship? Again, rapid fire. Yep, yep. So the very next year is when she's married, and they seem, she's still, even though she's not with her true love, she still finds joy in her life through her family and through her children. And she does say that even though James was never Mari to her, that she loved James and she loved the fact that her relationship to James brought these beautiful children into her life that gave her life meaning. And from her point of view, though, that relationship, that love only equals children, right? Right. Later on, another page after that or a couple pages after that, when we see them older and James is making the moves on her. So this is now 1988. She rejects him in the bedroom. Yeah, she, she says that every time they had sex... It resulted in a baby, and she was thirty-eight, and she was not going. She was not planning on having any other babies. And so, you know, Hazel, it is nineteen eighty-eight. You do have some options. She well, she could get contraception, contraceptives. um, But anyway, she was not sexually attracted to James, and so I think that's what's clear there. And James seems sexually attracted to her. James doesn't seem to be having um, the idea that every sex act equals a child. Right. This seems like a lustful uh, encounter. Yeah, he's putting the moves. And then, you know, then in two panels, three panels down, it's James sleeping on the couch. And it says, I love James dearly. He was a great father and an excellent provider. Okay. So let's now jump ahead to after the reunion of Hazel and Mari, when Hazel first admits to James that she has feelings for another and it's another woman. Right. So everybody comes home from Mother's Day bingo and all of the women are weeping. And James is like, what's up? And she's like, we got into an argument. And he's like, as usual, you know, women always weeping. (laughs) But she's like, this time it's different. There's something I need to tell you. And she opens up by saying, James, I'm bisexual. I love women. I love men, too. I love humans. I'm pansexual. I'm queer, which is actually a pretty woke statement for 2015. Well, and not not only for 2015, but for an elderly woman in 2015. Who has not been accepting her own queerness for like- A lifetime. For a lifetime. And, but of course, what is his reaction next page? Right. So, so she says, you know, you know, I kissed my, my childhood girlfriend in front of our daughter. And so James, like- 
is puts on a brave face. This is a tells, brutal page. Tells the rest of the family, like, go home, good night, great time today. And he's got a big smile on his face. And then he goes up to the bedroom and he starts yelling at her. And it's, again, a big splash page just of James screaming a barrage of anger towards Hazel, who is lying down in the bed. And Hazel has just got like this kind of stern. sad and stern look on her she, face. She takes it. She she lets him unleash. Yeah. Um, so he says, she kissed you in front of Marion. How long have you been seeing her? I married a lesbian. Why didn't you tell me? And um, And part of me wishes that Hazel was a little bit more understanding of him being so hurt and she should have anticipated his being hurt. Um, Cause I feel like as a partner, as a life partner. And they've spent decades together. That, that, you know, she, she should anticipate him being upset, but she, he's, you know, he starts getting all worked up and she gives him his, you know, heart pills and goes like, you know, like, I'm not going to talk to you if you talk to me like this. Fair enough. Fair enough. And um, he tries to discuss it with her again, but he can't keep his voice down. So she's like, go to, go sleep on the couch. And she's got things to do. Yeah. She, she's, she's on the move at this point. She gave him an opportunity the night before. No, not the night before. This is the same night. So he's literally just found out. This is the night of... Of mo- this is Mother's right, Day right, bingo right, night. Right. Fast pace, fast pace. It's like I said, everything happens in two days sp- sprints, and so that night she takes off her hair wrap and starts texting with Mari, and they just text all night. And then when she wakes up, James is ready to begin arguing again, and he's like, "That's what I missed. That's what I meant." Yeah, because then the next night or the next day, she's got a therapist appointment. Right. And so so he he's like, you know, you were on on your phone all night with your girlfriend and she's like, "Well, you were the one who was yelling to me. I gave you an opportunity to talk. I have things I need to do today." Um but then after she has this whole speech about like I need to, you know, like I have a lot of stuff on my plate. She still stops and makes him breakfast. <laughs> yeah. And breakfast is very <laughs> awkward. She I won't. love that pink dress though. So she makes him breakfast and he's still hurt. You know, and so she's like, hey, I loved seeing the whole family yesterday. And he's like, couldn't have loved it that much because you're willing to ruin it. And she's like, and then she raises her voice. And so she's just like, forget it. So she goes to her therapist and, you know, she unloads on the therapist and she goes through this torment, this emotional hell that she has been experiencing over these last couple of days. Therapist also pretty woke therapist. Right. And says, look, you know, it's not about you loved a girl. It's not about any of that. Love is love. And you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with your family and everything else will come after that. Yeah. She, she ends her, this, this kind of two panel, two page spread with love, whomever you want to love, just make sure they're deserving of your love, which I think with all of they all they have been through, James is certainly entitled to part of her love, but not her all whole of her love. love. Yeah, yeah. And certainly not her romantic love. No, that of just course not. Never existed. And so later, Mari hits her up and was like, "You want to get lunch?" So she's like, "Sure." 
And so they go to have lunch, and we get to hear a little bit about what Mari's life has been like since that fateful night back in the 60s where she was sent away to marry a preacher's son. So um, she's also been living in a loveless marriage where her husband was a workaholic. And then um, Hazel starts saying that the only time James was ever intimate with her was when he wanted to create children. Which is not necessarily true based on what we saw earlier in the book when he is macking on her. Yeah, putting the moves on her. So, like, to me... It does feel like she's creating a little bit of a narrative. Yeah, and I think you have to, to rationalize, like... Such a huge life change. Yeah, but I I also feel really bad for James because he's been living, you know, for 48 years in a sexless marriage that he does not understand. What's interesting is when later, after James and Hazel have come to an understanding and they gather the family around to explain that a divorce is about to happen... James admits to his kids that at one point he had an affair when he was in the army and they were still married. And there's like a little bit of a hint that is it possibly a a homosexual affair? But they never quite answer it within the context of volume one of Bingo Love. But if you purchased Bingo Love Jackpot Edition like I did, you do get to read a short story about James's love affair with another man. Okay. And it's actually illustrated by Paulina Genishow, sister of Savannah Genishow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's so cool. This left me feeling a little weird because it is a pretty neat and tidy conclusion to the relationship of James and Hazel because apparently he's also been living a lie. He also may be bisexual, pansexual, queer. So... It, it's it's a pretty clean break. And that's how Bingo Love finally brings Hazel and Mari together. I don't know. Maybe I feel maybe that's in, a little in, too easy. In real life, that doesn't happen where two queer people just end up getting married and having a life together when really they want to be with somebody else. Well, maybe, maybe it does. I don't know. And it's certainly, I guess, fine within the context of a YA story. It was just something that stood out to me, Lisa. Yeah, no. I mean, you're right. I think what's important is that even though James and Hazel were not romantically fulfilling each other and they were both living with these really dark secrets, they did have an attachment to each other and a love for each other because, and the and even though James and Hazel were never right for each other, James and Elle will always, always be family right because of this history and because of the children they have created with each other so the next part of the book is how now mari gets folded in to become family with the rest of Elle's family yeah and you know bingo love at the end of the day is a hopeful story that delivers on a happily ever after to the point where even death cannot separate these two, that they will find eternal romance in heaven together. I love that. It's incredibly hopeful. The pain and the horror of Bingo Love is that it took so long because of society for these two people to be who they truly are. Together. Together, yes. 
And as such, Bingo Love feels incredibly unique, even within the context of its YA genre. Yeah. So often stories like this end in tragedy, end in solitary. Yeah. And it is really refreshing, even if it means in death, even if it means <laughs> in heaven, to see these two people get what they've always wanted and what they deserved. And I think it's really sweet that this teen novel focuses on an elderly couple. Like, you never see that. Like, teens want to read books about teens. Yeah, yeah. I'm a sucker for generational stories. I love the time travel that happens in Bingo Love. It's probably the most uh, fascinating aspect for me as a reader. That's what I attach to. I love seeing them as kids. I love seeing them as middle-aged. And I love seeing them as, you know, geriatrics. And in love. I love seeing people in love. It's what the latest season of True Detective is doing with Mahershala Ali's character. No way. Also great. Yay! But Lisa, now we are at that point where we talk about how we related to Bingo Love, what we can take from this story and apply to our own relationship. I guess we've actually talked a lot about how it related to our young uh, fog of infatuation phase. And how we hated being in a fog of infatuation and how we are just so content Swimming in our oxytocin and vasopressin, <laughs> being in a secure I, I and functioning relationship I, with I each other. I didn't say that I hated it. I'm just saying that <laughs> no. it was a different Brad. It was a different Lisa. It was a young Brad. It was a young Lisa. That's all I'm saying. And then I recognize that in, you know, what we see with um, Mari and Hazel. Thankfully, we didn't have anybody to come in and tell us that our love was a sin or wrong. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, our parents were practically high-fiving each other. Great uh, finds, you guys. <laughs> I definitely know that was what my parents were doing. Um, but Lisa, I'm going to throw it over to you. Like, How are you applying bingo love to your life and to our relationship? I think a lot. Like, I think in terms of bingo love, what I can bring into my life is gratitude that yeah. I haven't had the same kinds of hardships. Yeah, you totally stole what I was going to say. Oh, so let's really? just agree on that together. Yeah. yeah. That, that, we are really lucky. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we're extraordinarily lucky. And and we don't like. I don't take it for granted. But guess what? Maybe we could do better in helping others find the easy joy that we have accomplished. Yeah. That we have been given. Not accomplished. We have been given. Right. Bingo Love just reminds us to give everybody else, give everybody in the world room to love who they want the way they want. Amen. And that love is always a beautiful thing and a universal thing that we can learn from. Amen again. Uh, all right, Lisa, that's it for episode two in this month's series. What are we reading next, Lisa? What? I brought all of the science mumbo jumbo. The book that comes next is your job. It's certainly the part that I like the most. Well, so thank you for leaving it to me to unveil that our next book is going to return to superheroes. We've had a two-week vacation from costumed crime fighters, and I need them back. I love, love superheroes. So we're going to jump on over to DC Comics, and we're going to talk about Midnighter and Apollo, uh, written by Steve Orlando. Um, two characters that are often described as the gay Superman and Batman. Ooh. Um, but my understanding is I haven't read this comic, but that Mr. Orlando 
uh, is a little more tactful and a little more mature in dealing with their relationship than past writers like uh, Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis have been with these characters. So I'm excited. Uh, you know, it, Midnighter and Apollo, this book has shown up on a lot of lists. I always love meeting new characters uh, and, 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 you know, we're going to the world of Stormwatch and the Authority. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were image characters, but then Jim Lee joined DC and brought his whole brand with him. And so, yeah, Midnighter and Apollo, these characters that were commenting on Superman and Batman, now actually interacting in the same universe of comic books. That is crazy. I am in. Yes. Okay. Lisa. Uh, yes? Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And Mouth Dork. Yes, <laughs> that's me. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Well, shockingly, they can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. And of course, you can follow the podcast at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. And you can give us the gift of five stars and a really sweet rating on iTunes. It really helps a lot. Yes, spread that CBCC love to all your friends, all your neighbors, all your family members. We could use it. Yeah. So until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.